Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. We are in Romans chapter 6 today, and we're going to be there for a little while. Um, Yeah, one of the things that's interesting... um, You know, I've been teaching Bible for since 1988, so do the math on that. You know, student of Scripture many years before that. And um, you never get to the point where you've got it all figured out. You know, sometimes you get the idea, say, well, I know that, I know that, I know that. And then God has a way of surprising you with maybe something that you've never seen before. And I got that this week. Um, as I was looking at Romans chapter 6, um, I, on Wednesday nights I go to a friend's church and just terrorize them. And they're starting a series on union with Christ. And of course that's what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 6. But one of the things that was said that I was surprised about is that one of the, one of the major, in fact the major description of Christians in the New Testament is that we're in Christ. I never thought about that before. We're in Christ. Somebody asks you, what are you? You probably say, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? One of the problems with Christian is it's been so co-opted by so many different groups that, okay, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not an atheist, so okay, I must be a Christian. It's sort of like this blanket term. Like if you believe in a God or you know have any little bit with the Bible, oh, you're a Christian. You may not know anything about it. Or, I'm, a, I'm an American. In America, we're Christians. Well, what does that mean? doesn't mean anything. But the New Testament talks about being in Christ. We are in Him. And I like to look at that subject a little bit today because as I examine it, it's all over the New Testament, really. This whole idea of in Christ. And of course, we start out in Romans chapter 6 here with our text today. I'm just going to read along. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? And of course, last week, or last time we met, Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Okay, you're a Christian. You believe in Christ. You're justified by faith. Now do you just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter? Your sins are forgiven, right? You're going to heaven. Why get all uptight about the sins you're committing? I mean, they've been forgiven. May it never be. Um, I'm learning the Greek negatives right now in my Greek class. And there's six ways the Greeks said something, said no on something. And it starts out like a little no to the final thing, which is a shouting big, shout it from the mountaintop, no way. And that's what this one here is. It's the strongest negative they have in the language. The one before this is just a double negative, uman, no, no. This is no way, not, not in a billion years. Don't even think about it. Shall we continue in sin? No. It's a shouting no. How shall we who died to sin live in it? What does it mean that we died to sin? How do we die to sin? Well, we are in Christ, right? He got crucified, so that's... When Christ died, we died 
with him. So the sin principle is no longer our master. And that's what we're going to talk about here in Romans chapter 6, six here. Everybody has a master in their life. You know, the people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be free. Oh, you're not free, though. You're a slave to what? Your sin. You're a slave to who you are. Where every one of us is a slave. And he says, uh, you've been freed from sin. Why do you want to live in it? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Again, this is a dry verse. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about being identified with Christ. We have been identified with him. We are in him. There's a, a union we have with Christ. We are one with him. Therefore, we are we're buried with him through baptism into death. Christ died, we died with him, we were buried with him into death. So that we will be resurrected with him? So that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we might walk in newness of life. We died with Christ, we're buried with Christ, we are raised again with Christ. By the way, another interesting thing, I'll just throw this in as a, as a little... Um, thing I've picked up during our Easter service. Again, every once in a while, God just throws something new your way that you've not thought of before. But remember, how, what kind of tomb was Christ put into? A cave. It was a cave, but what, what was it? It was a stone cave. Huh? Brand new. So what does that mean? If it's brand new, what does that mean? Nobody's been put in there before. Right? And I thought about that. I said, well, that's interesting. Why, why did it have to be a new tomb? And the answer is, well, if you go to the tomb and there's a couple of dead bodies in there, it's easy to say, well, we got the wrong body, right? But if this is the only body in the tomb and it's not there, you can't question it. There's no mix-up. You know, because people come up, well, well, the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Well, no, they didn't go to the wrong tomb because the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers, right? So you know which tomb it was. That's kind of stupid. Well, Christ, uh, he, he, you know, he revived and he rolled a two-ton stone away and, and beat up the Roman soldiers and hightailed it out to the desert. And Oh, really? If you have any idea what it means to be crucified, you know that's a stupid statement. You got eleven guys. Yeah. Well, you got eleven guys that went to deaths. I mean, the only one that died a natural death is John. All the rest of them, you're dying for a lie. Really? Well, it's a hallucination. It's a mass hallucination. Five hundred at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, when you start looking at the resurrection, and someday we might do a study on this, it's one of the most, I mean, it's, it's like every turn Christ or God is just making it clear that there is only one explanation, he rose again. Because all the, you're, you're the religious leaders, you got this wild idea of Christ being resurrected, what do you need to do to kill that in the, at the beginning? 
produce the body. They didn't. It's not there. There is no body. They could have stopped that right at the beginning, but they didn't. What did they do? They lied about it. They bribed the soldiers. Christ rose again from the dead. It's a validated fact of history. And what Paul is saying here in Romans 6, because he rose again, and we're in him, there's a promise that we will rise again someday. Because we're in Christ. And so if someone asked you what, how to describe yourself, saying, I'm one of the ones that are in Christ. I'm in Him. And because we have been resurrected, we can walk in newness of life. See, sin, the wages of sin is death. Did you die? Well, yes, in the sense you did, didn't you? You died with Christ. So is the penalty of sin, in a sense, paid on your part? Yeah, you died with him. You were buried with him. And again, burial means that he was really dead. He really died. And he rose again, so you rise again with him. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of of his resurrection. Um, I didn't look up that um, that four there. Um, let's see. I'm gonna look it up if I can. Ask not search amplified to find um, note. Nope. In I, I didn't look this up in the Greek text, but there are different kinds of conditional, conditional sentences, and one of them is, it's not an if and maybe it's not true, but it's a sense. I don't know if this is a first-class conditional or not. I'll have to look that up and let you know next week. <clears throat> With all I did there is if it's a first-class conditional, you can say sense. Since you are raised with Christ, since that's a, 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 a fact, then this is true. Since you have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We've been identified with him. Now, when did that identification occur? When were you put in Christ? Anybody want to take a guess on that? Well, yeah, that's in time. <clears throat> When you were born, any other ideas? First Timothy or Second Timothy one nine, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us what in Christ from all eternity. When were you given to Christ? When, as far as, when were you, as far as God was concerned, in Christ? Before time began. You're in Christ. Remember what we said in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, Paul is making the statement 
that you are identified with one of two individuals. Every human being that's ever lived is identified with Adam and death or identified with Christ and life. We're in Christ. When did Christ, when did that happen? It uh, happened before time began. Now we can sit here and argue all day long about how did God select it, and that's not what we're going to talk about here. Wherever you land on the whole idea of election predestination, you're still stuck with this verse. As far as God's concerned, when were you in Christ before time began? What existed before time began? God. Nothing else did. It's only God. We're in Christ. And notice what's said here, not according to our what? Works. Every one of us has a deep-seated desire, need, to think that somehow we contributed to our salvation. Somehow we believe, we, we saw the truth, we did this or we did that. And, but this is saying it has nothing to do with anything you've done. What, before time began, had you done anything? That's a rhetorical question. No, you didn't. You didn't even exist. So you couldn't have done anything. It's not because of something you did. It's not because you decided to believe in Christ. It's not because God saw that what you would do, um, you would believe, and so that on the basis of that, he chose you. No, before time began, we were made, put in Christ. And why did he do that? What was the purpose of him doing that? According to his what? Own purpose. Why did God place you in him before, in Christ before time began? His own purpose. See, we have this idea that salvation is um, it's sort of like, what's in it for me? What do I get out of the deal? It's, it's about what God does for me. The Bible says it's what God does for you himself. Why did God save you? For his own purpose, for his own glory, for his own purposes. Not because you deserve it, because none of us in here deserve anything from God's hand but eternal hell. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. This is the longest sentence, by the way, in the Greek New Testament. One verb in, I think, 14 verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Where do you get your blessings in the heavenly places? Why do you get those blessings? Because you're in Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, who's the Him referring to? Jesus. You're in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
Before time began, God chose you to be in Christ. It's really not about you. It's not about your superior intellect. It's not about your luck. It's not about you doing the research and picking Christianity out of all the religions of the world. It's because you were placed in Christ before time began, and in time, God chose you. He, he ordained that you would hear the message of the gospel, and you believe, but you believe because you were in Christ before the foundation of the world, and why did he do that? Um, because he wanted to. And then it says here, by predestining, predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose you to be in Christ, and in time, what did he do? You were adopted into his family. You were made a son. This goes back to the Roman legal system of adoption. We think of adoption today, we think of, you know, finding a poor orphan or somebody and having pity on them and making them part of your family. And it's, you know, it's got an act of grace on your part to do that. And in Roman legal system, it was a little bit different. It was, you were actually <clears throat> making that person to be equal to or greater than your own physical offspring. So as a father, you might look at your kids and say, they're all losers, I'm not going to leave my inheritance to them. So you would find somebody that you would want to be, take on the family name, to be the, the heir of the family, and you would, make, you would adopt him as your son, and you would make him your son. And when you did that in the Roman legal system, it is as though that person came into existence at the moment of their adoption. It's interesting. Basically, if <clears throat> at the <clears throat> instant they were adopted, <clears throat> their entire previous life and identity, as far as the Roman legal system was concerned, did not exist. If they were a criminal, there would be their entire criminal record would be expunged. Their identity to their former family would be expunged. As far as the, as far as Rome was concerned. That person came into existence at the moment of their adoption as part of that family. <clears throat> now think of that in terms of your adoption. When God saved you and adopted you and his family, what happened? Your entire past, as far as God was concerned, your past life of sin has been totally expunged from the record. It's though you came into existence at that point in time and you're now part of God's family. And the father had the right when you were adopted to create the stipulations for what inheritance you would get. And what does the Bible say we got? We are joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Equal with us? Everything Christ gets, we get. Go figure that one out. We are a joint heir with Christ. God did not say, I'll adopt you and you can sweep uh, heaven for eternity with a uh, gold broom. Well, that'd be good, you know. I mean, that's better than hell, right? 
But no, we're adopted into his family. We're made part of his family. We're, and that's what blows my mind. I'm a joint heir with Christ. What does that mean? Everything that Christ gets, I get. Why? Because I'm in him. It's union with Christ. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved one. <clears throat> Here's the point. Who takes the initiative in Ephesians 1? Who's doing the work? God, not you. God's taking the initiative. And why did he do that? To the praise of his glory. To make him look good, not to make you look good. This idea that, well, when I became a Christian, God got a deal, because no, God didn't get a deal. Probably the reason you were saved is because God had a, you know, I, I jokingly say, you know, probably God had a side bet with one of the angels. So, well, if I can save Schaefer, I can save anyone. Yeah, you know. It's for his glory, his grace. In him, who's him? In Christ, we have what? Redemption through his blood. That, that explains who the his is, right? In him, we have redemption through his blood. Well, the him and his refer to Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Why do you love him? He first loved us. Yeah, the point, you know, the thing to understand about the whole salvation package that we have is God always takes the initiative. Whenever you see salvation or redemption mentioned in the Bible, it's always God taking the initiative. For God so loved the world he gave, he took the initiative. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. He takes the initiative. We don't. In fact, we're enemies of God. We don't take the initiative. Remember in Romans chapter 3, what happens? We're like sheep who have gone astray. We hate God. We have no affections for God at all. God is the one who comes in to seek and to save that which was lost. But what do we have? We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of... Think about that. 
according to, not out of. There's a difference. If for whatever reason Mark Zuckerberg decided to give me a dinky little car, he's given me out of his riches, isn't he? I mean, the guy's wealthy, right? Oh, let, let's take Elon Musk. Elon Musk shows up and says, here, I'll give you a car. You know, I'll give you a little dinky car. Well, he gave up his riches. That's great. I mean, I'll take it, right? I'm not going to turn down a free car. What if he gives me a million-dollar Lamborghini? Now he's given me according to his riches, not out of. There's a difference. He's given me according to. He's probably, I think, I, I th it depends on what day you're looking at the news, but he's either the second or the first, first most richest guy in the world. But, you know, he could, give you, he could give everybody in this church a car and not even miss it on the bottom line. He wouldn't know that he gave anything away. It's like you giving a, a, a penny to the poor guy down the street. But what does God do? God does not give out of his riches. And that's what we're talking about here. God is not like they're saying... I, I gotta I gotta conserve these riches, you know, because I might run out someday. I'll give them just a little bit. I'll just give them just enough to, to eke them over, you know, just to tide them over. God lavishes his wisdom, his riches on us. It's a lavish gift according to his riches, not out of his riches which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in him. Who's the in him? In Christ. He may notice what? The mystery of his will. One of the ways in which God's lavished his riches on us is he made us know, known, made known to us his will, his purpose. What did Christ say? He says, you know, the servant doesn't know his master's will because you're my friends, you know my will. I'm giving you some insight. For an administration, and it's um, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him. Why did God make you his heir? Why did God lavish his riches on us? Why did God give us his wisdom and insight because he wanted to, his pleasure of his will. He loved us. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the greatest expression of love is you give, right? You say you love somebody, you don't give them anything, you probably don't love them. Expression of love is giving, and he's lavished it. I mean, he's poured it out on us. He's lavished us with these riches. And it says here, for an administration of the fullness of times that the, in the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth in Him, in Him, we also have been, made, have been made an inheritance. In Him, we've been made an inheritance. What does it mean we've been made an inheritance? Not only do we inherit heaven, but we're Christ's inheritance. In what sense? that in the ages to come he might show the, his riches to us. It's all about Christ and, and, and God. It's not about you. You're a trophy, you know that? You're a trophy in God's 
trophy case. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you're um it's not what you do, it's what you are. Yep. Because you're in Christ. I'm in Christ. And they aren't. Unfortunately, and that's unfortunately, and that's hard to get them to understand right. how good they are in human eyesight here yeah. on earth. It's, it's not good enough. There's only no. one way. You got to be in Christ. The Bible says that it is easier for a man to enter into the house of the needle than it is for a rich man right. into the kingdom of God. So does that mean Elon Musk and uh, Facebook? No, it just doesn't mean that. Not going to go to heaven. No, it just means that the more you have, the harder it is to trust God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be rich people. I mean, Solomon was rich. He's going to be in heaven. Who? Solomon. Solomon. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Yeah, but the devil took everything away from him. And God gave it back to him seven, you know, what is it, sevenfold or tenfold or whatever it is, you know? Here's the point. The point is, that point that you're making there is that the richer you are, the stronger you are, the smarter you are, the harder it is for you to humble yourself. Okay. Yeah, what is, what is the starting point of the gospel? The starting point of the gospel is I am a sinner and I can't help it and I can't do anything about it. That's a humbling thing to do. And to tell a rich person that all their money amounts to zero in God's sight is a tough sell. They're not willing to give up. Inherit eternal life. Well, go sell everything. I can't do that. Yeah, don't want to do that. Did he, did he ever sell everything and go nope. to heaven? No, 
sure he went to heaven. Yeah. He went away sad. He went away sad. Because he was not willing to do what God called him to do. It's not, riches are, people trust in riches. The Bible says, not many wise, not many noble, not many strong enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you trust in that. But if you're in Christ, you inherit everything. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. There's no way to pay back the sin. The only way to do that is the infinite sacrifice of Christ. We have redemption through His blood, right? The forgiveness of sins. How do we have that? Well, through our works? No, through His blood. Through He, He gave us. I mean, that was that was promised before time began. And it says here, we have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God has ordained that we would be in Christ. All this stuff that you're experiencing in life and all that, that's just a step along the way to your ultimate glorification. It's in him. To the end that we, he, we who first have hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And in verse 11, I miss it, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of of counsel of his own will. Why did God do that? Because he wanted to. 11, verse 11. No, Ephesians 1. Oh, I was confused. Yeah, Ephesians 1. I'm, yeah, Ephesians 1. I'm reading Ephesians 1. I, I skipped over to Ephesians. De Denny's a little slow here. He didn't pick up on Ephesians 1 here. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're in Ephesians 1 here. Yeah. We did. Yeah, in him, we've been made an inheritance. You're God's trophy. You ever think of that? You're God's trophy. You're an eternal example of his grace. It's not what you get out of it. It's what God gets out of it. Now, admittedly, there's some good things that go along with that, right? Being a trophy of God's grace is a good thing, right? It's better than being an object of his wrath. But really, it's for God's glory. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to, according to the purpose of his own will, the counsel of his own will, because God did this decision, this choosing. But notice as you work your way through Ephesians 1, how many times you have in Christ, in Christ, in Him. Everything we have, every spiritual blessing we have is in Christ. It's not in us. The question is, are we in Christ? The way you get to be in Christ, of course, from the human perspective, we believe, right? But why did we believe? Why do we love God? He first loved us. He took the initiative. Christ said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not say, I come to find those who are searching for me. Right? Anybody search for God? We, we've told, said this. Nobody searches for God for who he is. 
They search for God for what He gives, but not for who He is. I mean, good night. Nobody wants who He is. But people want, you know, fulfillment, joy, happiness, peace, whatever. That's why they come to God. And God may use those to draw them to Him, right? But at the end, they're saved because He does what? He does the work in their heart. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. And Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6, we were in Christ. We were in Christ when He died. We were in Christ when He was buried. And we were in Christ when He rose again. And because He rose again, death has no more dominion over us, right? Because we already died. The penalty of sin is paid because we already died. The penalty of sin is death. We died with Christ. The fact that we rose again is just too bad, right, for us staying dead. But if you're not in Christ when you die, you die. There is no resurrection. You're not with Christ. And there are results of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians. All right, that, that's partway through the New Testament there. You can look up the, in the table of contents, Danny, if you can't, can't miss. All right. Second Corinthians what? Five. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. New things have come. If you're in Christ, you are what? A new creation. The word there, creature, creation, is the same word. You're, you're, you're brand new. Now, Greek had two words for new. One of them is new in sense of time. One is new in sense of essence. Which new do you think he's using here? Essence. You're not new in sense of time. You're new in sense of essence. I can say, I got a new car. I got a different one. But if I go from a horse to a car, now it's new essence, right? There's something new about that. It's completely different. Paul is saying, if you're in Christ, you are a completely different person. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. What does that mean? It means you're not the same old, same old. If somebody says, I'm a Christian, and you see no change in their life, they're not a Christian, probably. I remember talking to some people that many years ago went on an EE call. I'm, I'm sorry to pick on EE. This was a, yeah. But they went on an EE call, and, you know, they were given a report of, like, you know, well, we, you know, we talked to this person, and um, I said, you, you know, I, they were telling about their encounter with this person. They Said, yeah, you know, that we, we met with this person. You know, they haven't been in church for, you know, 25 years. You know, they don't go to church. They don't read their Bible and all of that. But they remember when they went forward. So we gave them assurance, verses on assurance. And I wanted to ask them, well, maybe you should have given them verses on salvation. You're telling me you're, came, you made a decision for Christ and you've not been in church. You don't read your Bible. You don't hang around with other Christians. But you're on your way to heaven because of some decision you made. What's Paul saying? If you're in Christ, you're different. 
Notice he says, it says, it doesn't say you're perfect, right? But you're different. That's the whole point that, God, that, that Paul's making. You're in Christ. You're different. You can't be the same. You can't go back. I'm starting to watch a little bit of The, uh, the Chosen. So far, it's a pretty good series. But the first episode, I think, is the, um, the conversion of Mary Magdalene. And she meets Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, well, you know, what happened? She said, well, I don't know what happened. She said, I can't explain it. It wasn't you, by the way, Nicodemus. I, I can't explain it. All I know is I was this way, now I'm this way, and what was in the middle was him. I can't go back. Follow him. You are, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You're not the same as you used to be. If you are the same as you used to be, probably you're not a Christian. Now, people don't like to say that because, oh, you know, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, if somebody accepts Christ, well, did you mean it in your heart? I mean, Simon Magus, remember him? Acts 8. Philip's up there preaching. Simon Magus goes forward. He walks the aisle. He signs the card. He goes to the door on your left, my right, and signs, remember that one, signs the card. Even gets baptized. Made a member of the church. Then Peter shows up. And you see the gift of tongues, and Simon says, boy, that's a great trick. Let me buy that one. Add it to my bag of tricks. And of course, what did Simon Peter tell him? Oh, full of subtlety and mischief, you child of the devil. Was Simon Magnus a Christian? Church history tells us he became a great enemy of the Christ. He walked the aisle, signed the card. Their heart wasn't there. Yep. And by the way, we're not a heart inspector, are we? We are a fruit inspector, but not a heart inspector. I don't know somebody's heart. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. God knows. God knows. God's not confused. If you're in Christ... You're a new creation. And if there's no change and no difference, you may have to ask yourself, was I ever truly converted? We're not talking perfection. We are talking direction. And that's what Romans 6, we never did get back to Romans 6. We'll get back there next week. Back to Romans 6. We don't need to turn there, Denny, because class is almost over. But Romans 6, yeah. It, you know, we were buried with him. How shall we live any longer in sin? Shall we do that? God forbid. No way. How can you that are dead to sin live any longer in it? You're a new creation in Christ. You're in Him. So, um, with, with this in your argument, in verse 6, you talked about burden and negatives and fruits. Yeah. Here in verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Same meganoite. 
Meganoito. That's the that, go. You could tell somebody you learned Greek this morning. Meganoito. May it never be. May it never be. God forbid. The strongest negative possible in the Greek language. Horrors. Don't even go there. We're in Christ. We're to be different. Our lives are different. Why are we different? Because God changed us. We are a new creation in Christ. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about in Romans 6 and 7. You're not the same old. You're different. You've been adopted. You've been given a new life. And that's where we're going to be heading here. So we're out of time today, but uh, we'll pick up here with next week. Well, ponder it this week. You're in Christ. Because you're in Christ, you're not the same. You're different. So you have to ask yourself, are you different? Father, thank you for this time of study and for being able to go look at this topic. And the many fathers, one I've not really looked at much, so I probably should have, being in Christ, but we are in you. And because we're in Christ, we're different. We're changed. We're not the same. Help us to ponder these truths and meditate on them. And thank you for this time of study and your word. In Christ's name, amen. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.